Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. The cycle of life is very much like the cycle of leadership. Our job is, and, and our only way to leave a legacy is if we have brought others, I mean, to basically put ourselves out of a job. That's the definition of how we do, you know, when we look at a metric that we do well, the leaders that have carried the test of time are the ones that have passed, but their principles stay with us. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, Episode 65. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Angela Myers. Angela is a world-renowned author, entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, and, I love this one, educator, whose transformative message of the importance of mattering has the power to unleash the genius in us all. Angela's following includes leaders in business, education, government, and nonprofit organizations. I think that kind of covers everybody, which grew out of a response to a TED Talk she gave in... 2011 that went viral. It focused on two words, you matter. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the, on the show today. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. And what a wonderful, beautiful introduction. So I'm so happy to be here and talk about leadership. I, it, it is everything right now. We have a leadership gap and we, ha- we have to step up and mend that. And um, I'm excited to think about ways to do that. So that's actually cool because that wasn't one of my questions, but I'm going to start there because why not? What, what exactly do you mean by a leadership gap? What, is it, what does it mean to you? What does it look like? And, um, and how would one solve you know, or fill such a gap? Absolutely. I think um, like many people, the role of a leader or to me, my definition of leader is the ability not to grow followers, but to create more leaders. Mm-hmm. And for a leader to be able to do that, they have to be incredibly humble and self-aware and compassionate and generous. And I think those are traits that we don't see in our everyday leaders or in the people that wear that important title leaders. So when we look at what we aspire to, we mm-hmm. often associate leadership with a title, with a position, with a place in the world. Yep versus its true definitional nature, which is how do you, with the people that you are called to lead and serve and educate and parent, how do you bring them to the next level of their best self? And to so me- that's interesting. If I may cut in for just a moment, sure. that, was, that was great, yeah. by the way, because the one thing I didn't hear from you, yeah. which I thought you were going to get to, but maybe that's what you meant in that last point yeah. is purposeful. Uh, meaning to say, like, for example, we talk about education. So I, I think my, my, my listeners know that I'm a former educator and school leader. That's how I got to this whole leadership thing and the coaching work that I do today. So, so I serve leaders on many levels, different organizations, similar to you. Yes. Um, and what I find is that, you know, we, we need to be thinking about not only, like you said, the humility and the yeah. giving and, and, and others before self, but it's a matter of being purposeful in the sense that we have to think about who's going to be the leader of the next generation, however generations are defined. I mean, they're kind of tight nowadays, but, but thinking about like, if I'm running a school, 
how will I prepare my teachers to take on leadership roles, whether in my own building or elsewhere? And yes, it, it hurts me in a sense because I have, you know, I want to fill every classroom with the very best teacher. Yeah. And who wants to take a quality teacher out of a classroom of and give her the opportunity to be a leader? And then I've got to replace her with somebody who may not be nearly as good, but I've got to think bigger. Yes. Right. I've got to yeah. think beyond the moment. So you talk about that leadership gap. One of the things I think you know leaders need to really think about is, you know, you you were you were given an opportunity. Somehow you became a leader. Now you didn't snap your fingers and become a leader. No. You became yeah. a leader because somebody gave you a chance. And you took advantage of it. And of course you grew. So you got to be thinking about how to do that for others. So I, I hope you don't mind that interjection. No, it, not at all. I think, I think it kind of like sense. sort of took it, took your point and added to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. As you were speaking, I kept thinking about the cycle of life is very much like the cycle of leadership. Our job is, and, and our only way to leave a legacy is if we have brought others I mean, to basically put ourselves out of a job. That's the definition of how we do, you know, when we look at a metric that we do well, the leaders that have carried the test of time are the ones that have passed, but their principles stay with us. When I still look at my, my box of books over there in every single room, this isn't even my office. Um, I look at leaders from, from decades and centuries that have long passed but they have developed entire generations of new leaders. I still um, have just, just so many books, not of current leaders, but of leaders that have left a legacy with their ability to grow others and push others into positions that they might not have otherwise chosen. You know, one of the things I love about talking to educational oriented people, yeah. nonprofit oriented people, and, and this is not a slight at all on anyone yeah. who's in a for-profit for environment, is that I think personally, at least the Hollywood version mm. of leadership, and maybe even in the, in the media, um, really is typically, so you've got political leadership, yeah. you've got business yeah. leadership, you've got other types. Yeah. So in the, let's leave political alone because it's a different animal completely. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the corporate space, so leaders are typically rewarded primarily by profits, they're rewarded totally. by metrics, they're rewarded by company size and impact yep. in that way. So, you know, it takes somebody like a Jim Collins to, yeah. to unpack the idea that a real level five leader is somebody who often is introverted and humble and That's behind right. the scenes and position right. their, their people yeah. to the best, you know, the best places. But, you know, in, in, a, in an educational space, I think we get that automatically because of the fact that the metrics, yeah, there's metrics about student yeah. achievement and there are metrics about retention, whatever, but it's not usually about, let's call it profit right. or bottom line in the right. same way. Same. So you think differently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the greatest leaders, yeah. ask anybody, yeah. if you put your list of a hundred greatest leaders, so yeah, there'll be some tycoons and magnets and, and whatnot yeah. in there, but a lot of them are either political leaders yeah. or just social leaders. Yes. Right. So like a Moses or a more, yeah. more relevant example, yeah. more recent example, a Gandhi or a Mandela, you know, may not have had a formal political position, right. but inspired others through, you know, MLK, that kind of, Absolutely. that kind of person. So yeah. it's, it's just interesting the way you're talking about it. And I think yeah. that for everybody who is in the business of business, so to speak, yeah. and thinking about leading people so that we can make more profit, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's more, I'm not here to give anybody um, you know, any quote guidance and how to live right. life. That's not my place. But my point is we all know deep down that legacy is something we all want. 
We all right. want to make a lasting impact. And That's yes, right. we want to make sure people live comfortably and well, but right. we also want right. to make sure that we, that our very best selves come forth in everything That's we right. do. I think education struggle, which is different than political leadership struggle, is the differentiation between people that are really good managers. It's, it's Jim Collins, good to great. That our challenge in terms of great schools is because we have an extraordinary amount of good schools. They are managed well, they are run well, they're pleasant places to be. But when I look at schools that lead, leaders that lead in education, the system doesn't promote or nurture or even orient people to become leaders. And that's such a hard struggle for me as both an entrepreneur and an educator, um, struggling with the mindset of being in a system that is a hierarchy where you are rewarded for position, where you are rewarded for time in, not impact of the time in. And so it's hard because that orients us to more management and more, uh, what do I want to say? running the place well, and there is a place for management and good managers, but that is a different role. That's a different subset of skills than true leaders. And I would like education to be more active about recruiting leaders and not hiring really good managers. Sure. So I'm going to actually just pull this off the shelf, not only because it's here, but also because I wrote it. So (laughs) shameless plug as I often good. So this book, Becoming the New Boss, which I wrote a couple of years back. Yeah. I do focus on that distinction, Angela, between yeah. leader and manager. And both are important, like you said. Both are important. Um, both in business and in nonprofit yeah. leadership. But they are different in terms of skill set, orientation, totally. focus. And I do think that we can, to a large degree, delegate a lot of the management yes. um, to others. Yeah. But you can't really delegate the leadership. Or you can empower people, but right. you still need to be providing the vision. That's right. So I think what you're talking about to a degree, at least, is there's a culture um, yeah. that has to be part of this. So when I talk about delegation, I say you got to build a delegation culture. Yeah, we totally. delegate here and you should ask for things that you think will light you up or empower you. Yeah. It should be part of filling that leadership pipeline. And at the same time, it creates opportunity for leaders to think about their people differently. Totally. You know, one, I had a woman in my office back when I was head of school she was very talented and she was doing good work, but in a very finite kind of way, which I thought under tapped, if you will, into her potential. Yeah. And I repurposed her, gave her a small, you know, raise, change of title, yeah. real empowerment in her role. And she uh, continues to thank me until today because mm-hmm. it was just, you saw something in me, yeah. powered me. And then I became, and it served the school. It served me. That's you know, right. We could replace her secretarial or her clerical work with other people with less skill or different skill, but we couldn't replace necessarily that. So so I got, I got to get, I mean, people have been waiting on this, on this conversation, I think for a (laughs) while to hear about this, you matter stuff, because that is clearly, you know, what, what you have become. I think, I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't talked to everybody. My sense (laughs) is that that is the thing that people really know you for it's the Ted talk. It's, it's your, your, your talks and all of that, you know, to me, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a religious person. I think everybody can kind of tell yeah. that. So with my religion comes a certain degree, I guess you would say of identity, a yeah. certain degree of feeling of purpose, yeah. because you feel like, you know, my case that God put me on the world for something. Now, what is that something? I don't know. 
you know, I can, I, I hope I'm, I'm on the right track, but I'm not sure, yeah. but I don't feel necessarily kind of like that. I'm wandering aimlessly. And then I'm just this, you know, set of, 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 of cells floating through the universe. But at the same time, we all, I mean, certainly we all want to know that we matter, but right. what was it, what was it to that, that really got you to this point from mm-hmm. a messaging standpoint? And, and why is it that so many people find tremendous value in two words that yeah. you would imagine their mother, grandmother, right. father, everyone that told them That's countless right. times. I would say you've been told countless times that you are loved. Um, countless times that you are liked, possibly countless times that you are appreciated. There's an incredible study that Harvard did, the largest longitudinal study that looked at end of life. I think it was 89 years long where they followed people to end of life and literally at the moments before you pass. Um, when you look back on your life, the thing you worried about most was, did I matter to the people that, that I love? my friends, my relationships, did I matter? And they didn't question if they were loved by their friends or if their friends knew that they loved them back or their family. They questioned about the level of impact they made, their legacy. And I don't want a single human being to go through life wondering if their life mattered. And it's such an, uh, so my background is actually neuroscience and linguistics. So from both a scientific and linguistic perspective in studying words for decades, um, you matter are not words that flow off our skin. Not like, love you, see you, that was great, you're awesome. Those flow out. And if you actually study like what I call the anatomy of a compliment, our brain starts not paying attention to those words that we hear over and over and over. And even though they make you feel good for a moment, they're not deep seated in our DNA and they don't address those needs. It's like getting a sip of cola, which might quench your thirst for a moment. But at the end of the day, your body needs water to survive. Your body needs food, water, shelter, air, and your body and your soul need to know that you matter, that you are seen, you are heard, you are valued, and that you recognize you are essential to the world. And those aren't things that we um, stumble upon. Our significance is something that we don't talk about, and yet it is at the core of every ailment known to mankind, from apathy to agony to um, the ultimate enemy, which, which is loss of life. And by loss of life, I don't just simply mean individuals that choose to take their life, but individuals that go through life every day, not feeling fully alive and not coming to the world with um, that kind of fullness. And so if we look at it from the perspective of nutrients that our bodies need, essential nutrients, we couldn't imagine not functioning. So whether we're looking at kids or we're looking at ourselves, if we haven't eaten, if we haven't, you know, if, if we're thirsty, there's water by me always. If I haven't had sleep for a few days, um, we are very open. Like at the beginning, you're like, I have sort of a little a cold. I hope it doesn't affect. It just is a sense that I can't be my best self because those essential needs and we're super comfortable telling the world 
when other essential needs aren't met. You know what? I might be grumpy today. I haven't had a lot of sleep. Or you know what? I um, have just been on the road and eaten really bad. I need to get back. We announce that to the world, not just to people that we know. But every one of us is wearing a sign or should be wearing a sign that says, do I matter to you? Do you see me? Do you value my presence? Do you even acknowledge that I'm here in the space with you right now? Are you looking at your phone or distracted by the TV? There's nothing that makes you feel like you don't matter when you're actually in the presence of somebody and you're, you feel invisible. So, so, so who is the, so who's the, who's the audience ultimately? In other words, if, <laughs> if you stood up on the stage and you told yeah. me as one of, let's say a hundred thousand yeah. people in your talk, right? Yep. Okay. So you have a standing room only full yep. stadium. Everyone's coming to hear you. Yep. You tell me, Naftali, you matter. Yep. So I would say to you, well, I've only known you for, for 15 That's minutes right. now on this call. Right. You know, how do you know that I matter? I might, I might be a little bit skeptical. Yep. So, so if you're, but, but if you're, so I'm wondering, are you telling others to tell their loved ones that they matter? Or are you telling people that they should find their own intrinsic worth? How is the message actually, I understand intellectually, yep. Absolutely. how are you delivering it in a way that people yep. are being motivated by it? So first of all, my job, I, I know I'm, position to be sort of motivational and it, but my goal isn't to motivate you. My goal is to remind you of this human truth. So I made up a name for myself over the pandemic because um, I use every science out there, even though my background's neuroscience, I call myself a humanologist because I'm taking the entire science around human behavior and human, um, human success, if you will. And when you look at how, to, how do you develop the best human being for the world, you look at sociology and psychology and anthropology and um, neuro, neuro, neurobiology and all of those. And if you put all that together, then my audience is humanity. And I know like brand specialists all over like freaking out, but when you speak words that, that go so deeply to the core of human truth. So I look at Gandhi. You are the change the world needs. Who's that for? Is that for leaders only? Is that for an everyday mom and dad? Is that for teachers? Is that for kids? Who is it? It's a deep human truth that you are the change the world needs, that you matter. You were created for significance. And the most dangerous thing for you as an individual, as an organization, as a leader, is the feeling that you don't matter. Worthiness isn't self-esteem. It is not about making people feel good. It is not about motivating them. It is about reminding them of their entire spiritual, soulful, physical health. We can link the, the effect of someone feeling like they matter to everything, as I said, from apathy to agony, from how quickly they heal, to their ability to heal, to their ability to be resilient and overcome and be hopeful. We can link that to hard, hard data, but it comes down to every human being needs to recognize, embrace, and take responsibility for that truth. You are given this one life. So you can choose to, and, and this one body. So you can choose to take advantage of that and, and not treat it 
like it should be treated. And we do that all the time. There are times that I don't get enough sleep. There are times that I should eat better, that I shouldn't drink cola and I should drink more water. And we make compromises with ourselves every day and priorities with ourselves every day. And worthiness needs to be um, in that category of decisions we make about protecting and preserving um, and presenting ourselves to the world. So that, I mean, that's incredible. I, I wish I could repeat even a fraction <laughs> of that. But I, I, have, I have a couple of questions. Yeah. I, I want to play the role, not that I usually yeah. do this, but I want to play the role a little bit of sort of the cynic yeah. corporate leader who's saying yep. to himself, okay, you know, yep. I, all right, thank you very much. You know, I, I get all the the, the, the touchy feely yeah. stuff, but here right. a bottom line is I want my business to thrive. That's I right. want to increase my ROI, That's all right. that stuff. So how, first of all, what, what do you tell leaders as far as what they could do to help their people feel this feeling of purpose and meaning and mattering, if mattering is a word, number one. And number two, um, what is the, is there any quote ROI? Is there any type of data that suggests that a workplace environment, whether it's for-profit or a school or anywhere else That's right. that has this kind of messaging cascading through its hallways and yeah. through its cubicles, that it really does make a difference from a, from a pr- productivity output idea yep. generation standpoint. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out which way to go. Do I give you the um, extreme example? And maybe that's the way to go and then back down from that. So unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess both ways to look at it, oftentimes I'm called in to work with an organization, a business, a community that has been um, completely disrupted, isn't even the word, completely dismantled by a tragedy. Mm. So whether that is the Newtown shootings or whether it is Parkland or whether it is... um, just a tragedy like 9-11, not that I was called in on 9-11 or this pandemic, when the most frailty of our humanity is exposed. And so I would say in an educational setting or in a community setting, it is most often when there's been a rash of suicides. So I'll just give you one concrete example. So for this happened three years ago, I was called into a state by the FBI and the Center for Disease Control a Midwest County of seven counties in the middle of USA had a, such a rash of suicides, 28 of them in nine months, the youngest five years old, if you can imagine. And it was considered uh, contagion. Like everyone was brought in, hospitals, first responders, everyone. And so we did, you know, obviously task force and managing and, um, when we actually went to young people, because all the adults in the community were guessing, what was the underlying reason? Do we have like a methamphetamine thing? Do we have a bullying problem? Do we have, you know, is there drugs happening? Is there like something is happening at the core root of all of this, this surge in loss of life at this drastic level. And so they did this mass scale study. I think it ended up being like 31,000 students of what what do they see as the underlying reason underneath this and to simplify it it was basically um they don't feel like they matter Mm. and that gap that assumption gap that the people 
in our lives that matter most to us, our children or our family or the people that we serve, um, if you asked every parent in that county, if you asked every um, human, every community member in those counties, do you think your children, do you think your staff, do you think your customers, do you think this feels like you matter to them? They would 100% say yes. And then if you ask the people, they would say, nope, I don't feel like I have any value at all. To the fact, to the point that I don't feel like if I didn't show up that anybody would even care. And those were the words coming back to us. And so they did something very brave, very drastic as leaders to believe this biological need to listen to their um, children, <laughs> to listen to their families and say, what if we went all in on this simple message? What if we took it at its core that people need to know they matter? So in hallways of hospitals, on billboards on the city, in, in all the training. So I train school staff and superintendents and first responders and people who answered the phone in the office at the hospital and everywhere else, what we call the language of mattering and worked on what do we do to create a culture so that there is a system to take this common sense knowledge and turn it into commonplace and common practice. And in the last three years, there has been a complete eradication of suicide. Wow. That was our intervention. So I have probably, oh, sorry, 10, no other, 10 other cities and communities that are like this. So that is my background coming wow. from a place of science, coming from a place of research. So then if we moved into a context of employment, Perfect. Gallup every year does a meta-analysis and a study of what we call engaged employees. And engaged is very deep in their, that, that is their perception, that is their well-being, that is their level of hopefulness in terms of their upward movement and potential. So lots of factors. And I, I think, I don't remember the last, I think it was three years ago, the study was 80, 83% or somewhere between 75 and 80% of workers, which ended up being millions of workers, are going to work every single day. And when you boil down, why is it that you are not giving your full self, your productivity, your, your passion, your energy, your effort, why are you not giving that to your job? And the number one reason, because we don't feel like we matter. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel valued. I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. So the bottom line about what that costs a company, what that costs our system of education, what that costs us as human beings when other human beings come into our presence and into our world, not feeling like they matter, we're gonna pay for it in one way or the other. We're gonna pay for it emotionally, academically, economically, and the impact is so devastating and dangerous that two years ago, the World Economic Forum declared insignificance as a global pandemic issue before we actually <laughs> had a global pandemic. Wow. Okay. So it's actually dovetails into a topic of, I, I'm not going to go deep on this at the moment, yeah. but I've been very focused on productivity. Yep. I've written, a, uh, I've created a blueprint, written an yep. assessment. And um, what you're telling me, in effect, <clears throat> if I understood it correctly, 
is that not only is let's call it happiness and all of that yeah. associated yeah. with feeling like you matter, but yeah. my actual day-to-day productivity. 100%. I could go up to a, I could go up to a boss. I can go up to yep. a CEO, a chief exec, yep. wherever it is and say to that person, if you want your people to produce yep. more, yep. You must focus on them mattering as people. Yes. Now, so do you just say you matter or do you say you matter because in other words, is there, is there a contingent, not a contingency, but yeah. is there an element there? Sorry about that. Is there an element there that, um, that you, you give them more or do you just say the words you matter and that alone resonates? How, do, how does that piece work? So that's a tricky question because you cannot, um, you cannot make another person feel like they matter. What you can do is create conditions for them to thrive in an environment that deliberately addresses their value, their presence and their contribution. So if you look at what what we do at scale with employees, we provide accommodations and we provide context, whether that is how the office is set up, what the freedoms are within that office. So you can have food available all day, water available, time for breaks and all kinds of creative things. That doesn't mean you're gonna guarantee that you have a healthy staff and you have a healthy workforce, but it increases the odds of them feeling taken care of, feeling like someone in the company cares about their needs. So in that same respect that we do with physical needs, giving them breaks, giving them flexibility, giving them nicer chairs, giving them opportunity to have flex time, all of those things build into the deeper message that you're sending is that your well-being matters to me. So the next layer is a little bit harder because we're not open as adults about getting those deep. Like if you think about as adults, we show up in the world, but what makes us human remains invisible until you enter an environment where you don't want to feel invisible anymore. The deep elements of our humanity and our soul, how we feel, what we aspire to, what we worry about, what we fear, what we um, wish somebody would notice and say, we keep that hidden. So it requires an incredible psychologically safe environment. In fact, at Google, they did a large study on their environment and employee response as it relates to productivity. And they called psychological safety oxygen. They called the entire project the oxygen project. It is as critical as air and breath to us that we know that we are in a place, not only that we are safe, that we belong to, but we know that our value is recognized in. Beautiful. So that is a multitude. And I think the best way to get to those conditions customized to that office, to the products that you produce, to the kind of work that's required is simply ask your employees. I know that sounds so simplistic, but that's what I did in education. I asked a half a million kids. I did a large study and we asked them one question, what would make you run to school? And we got their answers and analyzed their answers. And you would think that they would say like, we want more recess and we want better lunch food and we want less homework and we want more technology. 
And they said things in groves, in thousands, in tens of thousands, like, I just want somebody to smile at me. I want somebody to say my name every day. Mm. I want somebody to notice that I showed up today no. and that it's hard for me. And then we re um, replicated the study with the largest employee engagement network, 27,000 companies and asked the same question. What would make you run to work on your worst day? What would make you run there? And we put those two pieces of data up side by side and it's the exact same thing mm. Some, it, with, with more mm. you know, mature words, but sure. someone noticed me, value me, see me. So it doesn't matter what arena of research you um, look into, whether you look into um, workforce productivity, when you look at culture and the role culture plays in companies that have d dug deep into culture, companies like Zappos and um, Virgin and all of those things. Like when you look at the stories of not only the company culture, but the leadership in there, whatever you want to call it, it's a culture of mattering. Mm -hmm. People feel like they matter there. And if they weren't there, that they would be missed. So awesome. I mean, look at Disney. <laughs> There's so many examples that we just ignore. Good to great, right? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember, and I'm getting, we're going to need to, to, to yeah. pivot in just a moment. But yeah. before we do, I have one comment and then one final question. Yeah, yeah. But the comment is that I remember I was trying to work on morale within my own building, relationships and all of that. And one yeah. idea that I I grabbed from a book that I, I often refer to um, and, I, and I refer principles to by, um, I'd like to say it's, it's Bill Whitaker. I'm, I'm almost certain. Yeah. Either, either way, it relates to motivating one's teachers. I forget the exact title. Yeah. But, but he talks about you know, writing handwritten notes and specifically, so I wrote the same note to everybody, dear so-and-so, looking forward to a great year with you, blah, 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 whatever that was. And then I just one sentence in the middle that was, that was customized yeah. and it wasn't even the entire sentence. Right. One thing that I appreciate about working with yeah. you is yeah. blank. And that blank was different for every person. Right. It could right. be how they follow up on things, their smile in the hallway, yeah. their yeah. commitment to their student, whatever, everything was different, but it said, I notice you and I notice something specific about you and yep. here it is. Yep. And teachers would hang it up over their desks. Oh. You know, they put it up on their walls. They'd totally. refer to it often because it was one of those rare moments, I think, exactly. in their adult professional life where somebody took the time, wrote it down, didn't just say it, but yeah. wrote it down and had it in front of them. My handwriting isn't great, but it, it, it's serviceable. And, and they kept it in front of them. So that just sort of to carry on that. Um, I know this is going to, to me, it's going to feel a little bit awkward as a transition yeah. because we've been, I, I feel like elevated in a way with the inspiring <laughs> message and the, ma the mattering and all of that. But I want, I want to shift down to almost like a dark place, which is yeah. failure yeah. because I feel like, you know, people are listening. They want, you know, most people who, who listen to podcasts, we yeah. all have this, but yeah. you know, it's more noticeable to us. We have our, our ups and we have our downs. We yeah. have our, our successes and our failures. And sometimes our failures tend to discourage us from Oh. moving forward. But we also know that the failures are all oftentimes the opportunity yep. to become better than we sure. ever were and explore new things. So what failure, or let's call it a parent failure, may not have been a full-fledged yeah. failure, later sets you up for greater success. Oh my gosh. There's so many failures. I, I, there's just no way to pick one. Um, <laughs> I, there's just, there's just so many and every one of them 
is a testament to not only what I am capable of that I didn't think I was, but what human beings are capable of. We are so resilient and so um, able to persevere. And like I always say, the best of humanity shows up at the worst of times. So I, I don't want this practice of worthiness to be something that we realize when it is a time of tragedy. And I think the pandemic did that for so many people that they recognized what matters most in their life. You know, tragedy is a clarifying event and it helps you realize not only what matters most, but what you're made of, what you're capable of. And um, it is important to take note of that because every, I'm not scared of failure because I know that I can come back. I know like I, it, it, this year has been really hard. I had 86 live events that in a matter of weeks, my not only entire career of 30 years as a speaker, but my entire industry was abolished yeah. and it's still not back. So thinking about like, it was the first time I was unemployed since 12 years old and, and understanding that I didn't even realize in my life that I 100% rely on live events for my family's income, for my life livelihood. Yeah. And all of that gone in a matter, just in front of your eyes. But I know that I can persevere and I know who I am at my core. And this is not going to get me down. Was it horrific? Is it still? Absolutely. Um, but I have failed and gotten up and failed and gotten up so many times. Not that you want that or love that, yeah. but I am not, I don't have any doubt that I will persevere through this. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes as parents, as we've been spending so much time yeah. talking about education and all, we yeah. want to protect our kids from all challenges, but I think that's a big mistake. I think we have yeah. to be able to, you, nobody wishes challenges yeah. on okay. people. Nobody wishes obviously devastation right. of any kind, but deep down, we also know that that's where the growth is, you that's know, right. it's discomfort. And we're, we're trying so hard as a society to, especially with our college kids, I hear it all oh the time God. about fragility and that, right. kids don't want people talking about things that are not comfortable for them. You see it politically, right. you see it otherwise. It. It's a huge mistake. It's a huge, it's a huge mistake. mistake. And I think we have to change that way of thinking. So I'm going to change our way of thinking a little bit, only in the sense that I want to get into yeah. our rapid fire segment, which <laughs> I think is going to be really neat because you've added so much value already, but again, because I'm into the productivity thing, I'd yeah. love to get a productivity tip from you yeah. that helps you get more done considering how busy you are. Yeah. This is my number one shift that I made during the pandemic where I was struggling with my productivity because I didn't have an event to go to. Um, and I don't know, I think it was Tim Ferriss's podcast that I got it off of. So don't quote me on this, but He's, the first thing I always did when I got up in the morning is I read my email and then I had the news on in the background. And he said, what you're doing by doing that is you're allowing strangers to dictate what matters most in your life and in your day. And is that okay? Would you let a stranger tell you what to focus on, where to put energy, what to, what to put effort into, or do you decide that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I decide that. So in the morning, there is no social media. There's no, um, there's no uh, news and there's no email. And I set my intentions for the day very deliberately. And I, I'm calling it my return on 
intention, not my return on attention, but my return on intention has been massive. My productivity shot up by just taking that one hour and setting those intentions for the day. And it was really hard because my phone's by my bed and I, it's just so easy to get up and go on these rabbit trails, no matter how focused you are, it is so easy to be distracted. And I have ADD, so that makes it 10 times worse. And it's just been the one habit that has changed my productivity. Unbelievable. I'm going to ask that we keep the next two. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, (laughs) Your favorite way of consuming content? Mm. Uh, My new favorite way is Clubhouse, audio, social audio. I know. We talked about this uh, leading up to it. I don't have it yet. I'm an Android guy, unless they've opened it and I'm not even aware. And then finally, since we've talked about your saying so much, and of course, how important (laughs) it is, someone else's saying or mantra that really resonates with you. Yeah. So this would be, um, oh my gosh. So, gosh, there's so many. I have so many sayings all over. I don't know if this was Zig Ziglar or, but, um, oh my gosh, I can see his face and don't have his name. One of like the most foundational, how to win friends and influence people. Oh, Dale Carnegie? Um, Yeah, yes, Dale Carnegie said, work to be interested and not so much on being interesting. And that has, like, I've always been a curious question asker. And I think that if you default to that, um, every human that you meet has a story to tell and a lesson to do. They sure do. Wow. This has been great. So Angela, (laughs) tell everyone listening to our lead to succeed podcast, how they can be in touch with you, learn more about your work, be inspired more by it. And, um, and really kind of pick up from this conversation. Yeah. Well, I am Angela Myers everywhere. And if for some reason you lose that or forget my name, just type in you matter, honestly, and you'll get to all of the stuff. Probably my website is the most comprehensive place. I'm going to send you a link tree that just has links of some of my most recent projects. I'm super active and passionate on Clubhouse, and um, I can't wait for Android users to join us in this beautiful community. Um, But I would say any social platform that you're comfortable on, reach out to me. I do all my own social. So it is me responding, it is me um, connecting, and I can't wait to learn uh, what resonated and, and, you know, what you're passionate about. Awesome. All right. So I have to ask you, as yeah. I always do, for a final life lesson, <laughs> ending on a high, something that we could be inspired by, learn from, and, uh, you know, just, just really yeah. put a nice bow tie wrapping yeah. on this great conversation. So this is the statement I share when I'm in front of any audience. And the challenge isn't um, listening to me. The challenge is believing it and letting it sit and thinking about deep down. And it is this statement. It will change everything if you believe it. You are a genius and the world needs your contribution. Those who believe me change the world and those who don't wait for others to do so. So, and here's the beautiful thing. Every five-year-old that I've ever shared that sentence. And I asked how many of you believe me? Every hand goes up. So think about when did you stop believing that? Yeah. When they hit middle school, probably (laughs) (laughs) knowing from as an educator. Anyway, Angela, this has been fantastic. Uh, Thank you. You've really given me everything and above 
um, really our listeners. And, uh, and I really hope that people will follow up with you for those yeah, who are not familiar, check out your Ted talk, check out other content you have online. Sounds like there is no shortage. Um, <laughs> there's, there's certainly no shortage for your message. That's for sure. That's thank for sure. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know how easy it would have been to get you onto this podcast under normal circumstances. <laughs> it is a silver lining in this pandemic cloud. It might be your ability to join me for a few minutes, but I do thank you very much for your wisdom, for your passion, for everything you do for society at large and, mm-hmm. and um, for helping us, you know, fill the leadership gap and keep Absolutely. growing leaders. Absolutely. Thank you for what you do. And if you haven't heard those words today, you matter. So I will see you online and in Clubhouse very soon. I'm crossing my fingers. So very I'll talk good. to you soon. You got it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 